This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91. The same idea of, in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Welcome to MarketScale Software and Technology. I'm your host, Sean Heath. As technology continues to advance, the gathering of data and the storage of that data continues to become more and more prevalent. However, if you store that data and you can't access it, is it really there? Today, I have two guests on the podcast who can answer that question for me. Of course, I have Judson Graves. He is the designer and developer at Vion, and Christian Schroeder, who is the director of federal systems at Yellow Brick Data. Judson, Christian, I'm really glad that I get to pass this off to you guys because it makes my head hurt just thinking about it. Let's start off. Data is driving everything that we do today. How is the way that we warehouse that data changing? So industry-wide, we've seen over the past five years or so an interesting, you know, time of change for folks as they kind of moved out of the old school, smaller databases and really kind of had, uh, you know, their first interactions with true big data. Um, I think for a while, what everyone wanted to do was they wanted to get into this kind of be everything for everyone solution. And we saw a lot of migrations from people to data lakes and Hadoop and technologies like that that had kind of unlimited scale and kind of some unknown issues surrounding that unlimited scale. But they promised, you know, kind of the you you can do anything at any size. Um, What really happened, though, is when you try to support every type of data in a unified system like that, you have to filter what the end user is allowed to do. So we run into these problems where you can search, but you're not allowed to perform joins. You can store petabytes of data, but you can really only examine terabytes of it. Um, You have some data that you store in a certain way for ad hoc queries and then other ways for long-term reporting. And what that ended up doing was putting all of these data sets back into silos, um, even though they're in a big data warehouse. And then you have all of the technologies around security and governance, and it became this kind of monolith that became just as difficult to administer and use operationally as it was, um, you know, a capable solution. Uh, so it really, you know, all of the promise, I think, of those solutions really kind of were defeated in complexity. Um, so I think people are moving back to, you know, what is the right tool for the job? What is your data set? What's your problem you're trying to solve? And how can we address that directly? Um, and where should we do it? Should we do it in cloud or locally? Should we do it on-prem in a private data center? I think that's the question everyone's struggling with right now. Is there a big difference between success and failure when trying to deploy and access and manage these warehouses? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at deploying new technologies or some of the stuff Justin's talking about, when a lot of this stuff was in its infancy, you start out with little data sets. And as those data sets grow, you start to look at, you know, the, the data gravity. As you start to kind of put more and more data into a into one place, more apps get drawn to it, the data sets uh, grow, the more services you want to attach to it. And when you're talking about, you know, a terabyte or maybe a couple terabytes, it's not that big of a challenge. But as this stuff grows to hundreds of terabytes uh, or even petabytes, it's a much different story. And um, you really have to look at different approaches in the way to handle that and kind of using modern technologies. And one of the real challenges that we've seen is most of, at least from the relational side, uh, most of the code bases were written, you know, 10 years ago, things like that, when where there wasn't this modern technology where we had things like NVMe, we didn't have 100 gigabit networks. 
Um, and so the software wasn't really written to take advantage of the hardware that's out there. So bringing that to bear in a modern way makes a, makes a big difference. Um, and also architecting things in a way that scales out to kind of meet those challenges. One of the things I thought was always surprising with regard to databases and just this massive amount of information is that there's no simple increase by addition. There's no one plus one equals two. There's always an exponential increase. Yeah, that's definitely true. We've seen, um, you know, the story for um, enterprise data warehousing for a little bit was now that we have a linear scale out capability and, you know, uh, wherever you're doing it in cloud or spinning disk or whatever, um, you know, there was the thought that we'll just start keeping everything and we'll do the analytics afterward. And that was a big change from where we used to call all of our data when it was coming in because we couldn't store it all. Uh, the truth is there's so much data, you can't do that even. There's there's just too much data that's always going to be growing and it's going to grow exponentially. And, you know, in two years, we'll have 100 times the data we have today. So, you know, what we're seeing is the same problems that we had five, six years ago are kind of recurring now. Um, and so, you know, as Christian was saying, really, you know, how do we look at tackling that problem both from, you know, it's interesting because on the software side, we're seeing really a migration to like a handful of technologies. Like, you know, everyone's kind of agreeing that a Postgres database is the is the way to go for interfacing with data that's relational. People are moving to Kafka for messaging. They're moving to Kubernetes for container management. You know, there's a few key things that you know both cloud adoption and you know general software you know, are kind of agreeing on. And I think, you know, you see that on the data side as well. And I think that's as long as you keep this top of stack as that kind of interface, um, what you do in the architecture is really what makes a difference and allows you know, the kind of scale out and the kind of access to data that you need today. Are we outpacing our capabilities or are they pretty much staying in lockstep? So that's a good question. I would say as far as outpacing our capability of storing data, I think we are, you know, we're fairly, I think... We're fairly confident in that area, right? I mean, S3 and, you know, the the ability to store just tons and tons of data at kind of an unlimited scale, that's out there. But what we have paced out is really being able to access that data, um, you know, in a useful way and in, in the demand of time that we're required to do that, right? So uh, typically what we run into is I've got all this data. I know what I need out of it, but this is transitioning to an on, you know, real-time workload. I need to be you know, getting these answers in a matter of seconds or minutes, you know, not tomorrow, not in 24 hours, not in three weeks. I think making that transition, you know, has been hard because you look at what, you know, you dump all your data in Amazon and S3, like most people do, you kind of run into these hard limits of what can be accomplished in that setup. So we get a lot of requests as we kind of, you know, maybe we pull data out of that kind of massive data store. We put it somewhere, you know, else to do these analytics. And then, then the question is, what is that something else? And how do we really make that a high performance kind of solution at the at the edge or in a private data center? Yeah, one of the challenges that's been kind of universal is, you know, how do you store the you know data that's been out there for a while in, in some kind of scale when we're talking about, you know, petabytes? But also, as you're able to do queries against this, these massive data sets, how do you build a system that at the same time can support real-time ingest, can support things like ad hoc queries that really drive the subsystem um, to act in a way that, that, that has requirements that are difficult for most systems to meet? And that really ties back into going after the latest and greatest from hardware and software approaches to kind of make sure that uh, that happens. When we talk about this size of data and the data gravity associated to it, um, you really have to build a system that can solve the biggest challenge when you look at all this stuff, which is how do you how do you solve this 
massive data I.O. problem when you have petabytes of data. How do you access it um, with lower latency of queries and things of that nature at scale? And that's really driving, you know, using the latest and greatest approaches um, and also doing it in a way that, that scales out in a reasonable fashion. Is the answer ever as simple as just writing a smarter query? Um, you know, at, at scale, not usually. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's certain times when um, you could write a query that might not be the best or you might uh, lay your data out in a way that might not be optimal. Um, but, you know, for the most part, when you're looking at uh, data at scale, um, really it's truly how is the data stored? How is it optimized? Um, and what makes sense from, from an access perspective? How do, you, how do you move that data around? We live in a multi-cloud universe. I'd like to talk for a moment about the benefits and the challenges that come with maybe choosing to go with a private cloud approach. Sure. So I'd like to think about kind of examples in the industry of the past few years that have been really successful, right? We look at some of the coolest things we've accomplished, uh, you know, self-driving cars, artificial intelligence modeling that can really understand our world through vision. Um, you know, just how all the financial modeling and automated trading works these days for better, for worse, you know, all of those solutions that were so far ahead of the curve, you know, they all have one thing in common. And that was that they required, you know, sure, some capabilities that were in public cloud, but they all required hardware and software combinations that were not available at the time, um, you know, in a cloud environment, they had to create those themselves and they had to be you know, kind of at the cutting edge of those technologies. Um, so when you look at, you know, even though some of the cloud providers were some of the you know largest industry leaders in those areas, you know you looked at Tesla and those kind of groups like they had you know giant you know uh, you know data stored for every vehicle that creates terabytes of data every day. They had to kind of recreate that um, you know in a in their own private cloud, uh, and that capability just is. I think that's something that's going to be universal moving forward. If you have real workload and real requirements. Uh, you know, I just I just don't see there ever being a time when a private cloud or a personal you know infrastructure will not be needed because you're always going to have some kind of unique um, you know bespoke hardware software combination that can answer you know performance requirement when it is ahead of the kind of general capabilities that in, end up in clouds at some point, but they're never there you know immediately and when you need them. It sounds like at some point you have to limit the size of the haystack that you're going to look for the needle in. Um, to some degree. I mean, it, it's, it really depends on, you know, what you're trying to execute and the scale at which you're trying to do it. But I mean, in today's world, you know, when you look at different uh, market segments, whether it's things like retail or, um, you know, things like cybersecurity, sometimes you're going to want to look at trends that go back pretty far and to get the best fidelity uh, of, of kind of response or the, the best kind of uh, data to support things like market intelligence, you really have to look over a decent sized history. And that's one of the things that we've seen at Yellowbrick over and over again is that, you know, customers, they get to a certain data scale and they can only look at 30 days before things like queries start timing out. And what, um, you know, we're able to do is kind of give them the ability to look back, um, you know, a year, two years, three years in that data. So um, in, in some context, you know, uh, limiting what you're looking for to kind of eliminate noise is important, but to really get the true fidelity in, in the, the, the data that you want, a lot of times it requires the system to be capable of looking back uh, across massive data sets to, to get to the right information. One company or one organization or one entity that has massive data, and that would almost be an understatement, is 
the federal systems. And I know Christian, as the director of federal systems there at Yellow Brick, without giving away anything that would get either of us in a lot of trouble, are federal systems really that much different than the ones, say, just a regular mom and pop would be able to have access to? Well, certainly. I mean, federal, you get the whole gamut. I mean, you can get smaller shops or little missionaries that have smaller data sets, but then obviously some of the largest data sets in the world um, reside in federal data centers. And one of the things that, you know, working as, um, you know, on the, on the vendor side like I'm doing now or previously as a, a federal systems integrator, looking across the different implementations, there's been a, a lot of um, kind of challenges in terms of how do we deploy something that can meet the demands of some of these larger challenges. And a lot of times they get kind of complex and it takes months or even years for um, the government to see benefit out of them. So one of the nice things is being able to deploy solutions that are not only um, able to meet the challenges from a complexity perspective, but also um, be able to meet the challenges in a way that's very simple and quick for the, the government to deploy. And I think that's key. Would either of you ever log into a sensitive website from a public Wi-Fi hotspot? Oh, man, that's a good question. <laughs> this gets to the question of, um, you know, it always reminds me of, you know, back in the day, uh, you used to go to the airport and you would show your ID to like eight different people. You would show it at the entryway through the security gate. You'd show it at the entryway to your, you know, to the terminal. You'd show it at the entryway to your flight. Um, and now they really just, they've narrowed it down to, I think you, you show your ID once uh, if you're pre-checked or whatever. Uh, that that kind of the reason they did that right is the more places you have that are not secure the more chances you have to fail each security and they're depending on each other they say oh well they probably got them at the first check so they're you know we have i've certainly worked for federal agencies directly where we allowed you know vpn over you know a public network but the way that we did that was we had a completely encrypted you know object to start with so it doesn't matter where you put that object, it's completely encrypted and cannot be, you know, it can't be intercepted, it can't be looked at it. You know, the only thing you could possibly pull from it is, you know, what was it connected and for how long? I, uh, you know, it, whether that's a risk or not is up to the agency. I think, you know, we live in a world, you know, data kind of falls under this too. We live in a world where if you, if you worry, if you do not secure things properly and you worry about it so much that you never connect, you never share anything, you never, you know, you're never allowed to, you know, move data between agencies or whatever. You know, we've gotten a lot of trouble doing that too. So, you know, to me, it's more of a question of, you know, what are the tools you use the edges to secure data and to secure access, making sure those are rock solid. And then that answers the question for all the intermediary pieces uh, by itself. Since data collection is not going to slow down anytime soon. There's always going to be one additional metric, one additional parameter we're trying to gather and collate and coordinate. How does that affect the way that we design the physical data warehouses for these modern demands? Are we going to run out of space? Do we have to change the underlying architecture? What do you see on the horizon? I mean, I really think it boils down to, to how to be uh, scalable and, and in that be flexible. Um, historically, uh, data warehouses haven't been uh, great at that. They've been kind of the uh, holistic, you know, lift and shift to uh, this new uh, data warehouse by migrating your data, shutting the old one down. Um, so I think some of the more modern approaches are now, let me add systems at some kind of increment that increase not only, you know, storage to support storing the data, but also the processing. 
Um, and I think anything that's going to succeed in the future has to be able to scale incrementally without causing massive downtimes every time you want to upgrade. Judson, is there one thing I didn't ask you today that you would like me to have asked you about? You know, when I try to think about, you know, what do we put into private cloud and what do we put into, what do we use in the public cloud? You know, I think one of the things customers are overlooking these days is how much you can demand out of solutions you can put into the private cloud. So to me, it comes down to as we select solutions that will fit into private cloud into kind of a, a full, a fully, you know, understood cloud universe. I want to hit, you know, the solutions need to consider speed, scale, simplicity, and security. You know, if you can nail those four things, it's more important to me to nail those four things for any given problem than it is to, you know, sacrifice one of them in order to solve a bunch of problems at once. And that's what we saw, I think, over the past few years. We've seen a lot of systems that try to solve a whole bunch of problems, making incredibly complex solutions that overwhelm the abilities of, you know, people working in data centers. And then we all went running out to cloud. Um, and I think even now in cloud, you, you start looking at, you know, how do I do analytics in, you know, Amazon, for, ex for example. So Amazon has Redshift, Elastic MapReduce, Athena, uh, DynamoDB, Glue, Lambda, Kinesis, Firehose, all these applications, you still have to choose how to connect them, how to make them work. Um, so, you know, as we look at these kind of, you know, the right tool for the right job, I think people overlook, you know, what you can accomplish in private cloud. And as long as you hit those kind of four keys, you know, those are the solutions I think that are going to have longevity in private cloud that are always going to be competitive uh, for what the public cloud can offer. I think data warehousing, because of its scale, uh, because of, you know, the physical hardware requirements that enable those kind of large data sets, I think that's always going to be a great fit to always, you know, kind of, you know, you need to look at what you can do in private cloud there um, before you kind of go running to, you know, maybe a service that's offering only one cloud provider that's going to get you locked into that cloud provider for, you know, a decade or more. And Christian? Yeah, I think one of the um, issues that we didn't touch on too much that's kind of historically been an inhibitor for a lot of data warehouses um, is workload management. You know, systems out there, they have uh, resources, whether it be processor power, memory, and, and storage. Um, as we scale these things out and the data gravity grows and there's more people accessing more applications, um, you know, first in, first out isn't usually a great strategy in terms of how you apply your system resources. So I think most things that are gonna be successful in the future will have to have some kind of concept of workload management that allows you know, uh, customers to deploy rules that prioritize resources based on uh, business rules, not just what came in first goes out first. Um, and I think you know, putting simplicity and performance into kind of that logic allows the business to get the most out of the data warehousing solution. My grandfather always said, any day that you can learn at least one thing is a good day. And the two people I have to thank for that are Judson Graves, designer and developer for Vion, and Christian Schroeder, director of federal systems at Yellow Brick Data. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. I do feel smarter, so I mean, this is a win for me. <laughs> Always happy to help. Thanks so much, guys. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to having a chance to talk to you again in the future. Great. Thank you.